Shalom and welcome back to Four Worlds Torah. Digging for treasures in the Torah, treasures that matter for our lives and for the world. I'm Rabbi Shoshana Lise and I'm here again, gratefully, with Rabbi Charna Rosenholtz. I hope everyone is staying cool in this heat wave all over the world. This week we begin the fifth and final book of the five books of the Torah, Devarim, Words, Matters, Things. We'll be exploring, as always, a problem in society, a problem with interpersonal relationships that the Torah will name and will provide solution for. The problem is community dynamics, including unfair expectations of our leaders who are burdened with heavy burdens, who must manage infighting and bickering, who struggle to lead effectively. The solution, which we will discover in the text, magnificent teaching that Reb Charna discerned from verses, chapter one, verses 12 and 13, which I'll read in a moment. The solution is for the community to find from within ourselves or themselves leaders that they can count on and find what their attributes as community members should be, including affirming therefore healthy dynamics, their roles and responsibilities, our roles and responsibilities, accountabilities and vulnerabilities of power. This is a, an expertise of Reb Charna is the ethical use of power. So this is a, a really key podcast recording episode this week. The punchline will be how to enhance community relations through the right use of power dynamics. Verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 will begin the word with the word Eicha, which we will read very soon in uh, over Tisha B'Av, the day of mourning to come. How is it that this is the way it is? With great suffering, the word Eicha denotes. Verse 12. Eicha trachim umasichem v'rivachem Havulachem anashim chachamim unvonim biyuduim l'shiftechem baasimeim b'roshechem. Over to you, Reb Charna. Thank you so much. Good day, everybody. So we'll begin with that first verse that began with Eicha, and we believe it is profound that we are studying this today on the first day of Av, where we're in these nine days, these nine days where we really move into the somber realization that the temple is about to be destroyed. And this sense of Echa, like how, how, there's a deep lament in it. We also believe that this is a time of the year during these three weeks, during these nine days, when we really look at the house of community relations. We have all learned that the temple was destroyed because of senseless acts of hatred. All of the students had animosity towards each other. People were not getting along. And in the end, relationship matters. And so the fact that this sentence, as we begin this first of all, begins with Eicha, that deep lament, how 
how can this happen? How are we going to do this is very important. We very much believe that the future of the world does rest at the tip of the tongue, or as my grandfather would say in Yiddish, die ganze Welt steht auf der Spitzung. Nothing is more important than relationship and how we talk to each other. So how does Moses begin this? He says, ugh. I don't know if he says ugh, but my Moses is saying ugh instead of eich. Ugh. How can I bear by myself this sense of burden? You want me to lift up the burdens. You want me to carry them and lift your burdens and all these troubles you bring. But I'm telling you, the bickering, the bitterness, it is too much for me to bear. Before we go into the next sentence, I invite us all to really, through our own emotional, imaginative powers. Many of you have been in leadership. You know what it's like when there's expectations of you bearing something by yourself, and it's more than you can handle. Let us really feel through our hearts what it must have been like for him these 40 years and the utter exhaustion of that. He's like, ugh. How can I do this? This lament moves me greatly. And then we get the solution. Usually it is like pick, pick men for yourselves. But if we go deeper into the Hebrew of this havu, um, and the it is the word root, the shoresh, yud hey vet, which means to give, you're giving or providing something. You're granting it. There is in the word give a generative quality, a beneficent quality. Look, go within and amongst the leaders. And, and in a second, the verse also gives us the specific qualities that these people will need who are holding power. We'll break down what those powers are momentarily. But it's like, go within yourself and give this to yourself. I would like to suggest that this giving has a, a, a connotation of generosity. And we always remember that when we choose our leaders, we must choose them with this pr principle that we're giving this to ourselves for our best. We are giving ourselves the function of leader to assist us in being cohesive. And if we ever remove that generous eye in how we choose our leaders, we are setting everybody up for failure. So just quickly, what are these three qualities? Um, um, is chokhmah, bina, and da'at. Oh, there's so much to say about those three words. But quickly saying, according to the Mayam uh, Loez, uh, 17th century chief rabbi of Istanbul in Turkey, he says that Chachma here functions as somebody who's an expert in Torah, who's righteous and virtuous, humble, accepted by the community, speaks concisely and clearly doesn't speak harshly, carefully weighs decision, and sees the consequences of a thing at the very beginning. 
can see the trajectory of how this will turn out to be that. This is wisdom, according to him. Bina is knowing how to apply pragmatic application of what needs to happen into the world. Um, and most importantly, somebody who has this quality of Bina is connected with each and everyone's needs, is not making decisions from the personal, but is looking at the whole picture. And lastly, Da'at, they must be known. They must be in intimate connection with the people they're going to serve. And these people need to be committed to their impact. So here we have these two verses that we've set up, this sense of here's the, how can I do this anymore? And the, listen, you're going to go within your community and generously choose for yourselves the people that are going to hold these characteristics. You know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about Moshe himself as a model of these three qualities. As he is growing through trial and error, his experience uh, to become a more effective leader through calling forth leaders from the community, which originally his father-in-law, non-Jewish father-in-law, non-Israelite father-in-law, Yitro, advised him to do, that these qualities are Moshe. You know, he is a humble leader. He learns to speak despite his speak, speech impediment clearly and concisely. He's, he demonstrates, you know, that, that ability to grow as a leader in that way, effectiveness, as you've said, in speech. And then he knows how to be concerned with others, although, yes, he sometimes loses it himself and God helps him to get back on track and he helps God. Uh, and then that, that he has this deep, intimate relationship, not almost, almost, you know, for Moshe, who's like God, man, it's with God first, which, you know, all of us can aspire to. So I was thinking about Moshe finding, despite his echa, taking a breath, pausing, and looking inward at his own qualities that he can draw on, which are, of course, emanations of God, to then say, hey, you all can find these qualities and leaders that exemplify them. And if they don't, they can cultivate them because y'all can grow just like I did and just like God does. Right, right. And in a way we can look at this very vulnerable moment in the story. If Max Weber, the great 20th century sociologist was here, he might be talking about the institutionalization of charisma. How do you take that charismatic one and as they're about to leave, as Moses is about to pass for the world, for example, how do you institutionalize that in a way where the light of that candle is then spread out amongst the entire community? And so we ask ourselves, well, what are some of the functions of Moses's leadership? This is where we want to go now, is understanding that often a leader is asked to bear the burden of others. And we expect them to do so, and we often project onto them a certain level of perfection that is impossible. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about responsibilities, accountabilities, and vulnerabilities that occur within power situations. And this is where my work with the Right Use of Power Institute comes in. Right Use of Power Institute was founded by Dr. Cedar Barstow. And um, she, we are in the process of her taking her leadership 
and now spreading it out as she's just retired, spreading it out throughout her organization. And so it's, it's fascinating to live through this experience. I could say I've seen the same thing within the Aleph Alliance community where Reb Zalman's charisma is, you know, with him being gone, how is that institutionalization of who he was happening? These are very tender and vulnerable places. So from a right use of power point of view, I want to say something that often is a little touchy or triggering because we often think of power as bad, just like we think of charisma as bad. And so we want to take those connotations off the word and suggest that power can be looked at as a function, just like charisma can be looked at as a function. How does charisma function? How does power function in the world? The premise is that ethics is the right use of power. An ethical relationship understands the dynamics of power, which means we have to break it down a little. And we're going to break it down for the sake of our conversation into up power and down power. So I'm realizing already that if, like me, you are loath to admit that there are power dynamics at play, that there are people with roles and responsibilities that are not power over, but power with, power for, power different, different roles exist. And if we just even the playing field completely and say, all of us, all of us, each of us, which of course we each are in moments inhabiting multiple different roles moment by moment. But if we're actually denying that power even exists, then how can we be ethical? It's like, Oh, no wonder there's such a breakdown of the moral fabric of our society. Okay, go on. Beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that because down power is not no power. It's just that up power has roles and responsibilities and accountabilities and down power has responsibilities and vulnerabilities. It is the role of the up power person to be aware of the vulnerabilities of down power people so they don't feel diminished. So we break this down. It's, it's hard to, on one foot, share the complexity of this up power, down power system, but you hit it on the head when you named the power differential. If I'm in an up power position, it doesn't mean I get my way. If I do that, then I'm having an abuse of power. If I don't claim as an up power person my full role and I let everybody flounder because they don't know how to place themselves within a system, that would be a misuse of power. There's a difference between abuse and misuse. Abuse is often malintent that comes from a dark inner psychological place. A misuse is from somebody who doesn't quite understand these dynamics. Um, and so I would call Korach an abuse of power. He came in and challenged to the point that many other people got harmed. I would call uh, Aaron and Miriam kind of pushing against the edge of Moses's power, a misuse of power. Nobody else was hurt but themselves. And um, they were trying to understand who they were in relationship, but they, they weren't generous. They lost their good eye towards their brother. 
So, so much to say about this. I will say that according to the Mayam Loez, the up power person, like a Moses in this situation, because Moses had role power and status power, the only one who could speak to God face to face. That gives him a certain status power. Can you um, just slow down and, and, and as you did with me, define the difference you showed me with okay. visual cues? Yeah. So role power, imagine now, everybody, you have a scarf in front of you. And that scarf represents role power. So take a moment and put that scarf around and now you're in role. Okay, I have these functions to do from this role. And I'm going to hold this role with accountability and responsibility and caring about my impact on other people. I'm going to track my impact because it's not enough to lead. I wanna be sure people are following. Up, oh, the role is over. I'm going to take that scarf off and now it's me because role is a function for getting something done and it's fluid. We can take the scarf on, we can take the scarf off. Status power is something, it's a social construct. It's a social construct that we create in order to create hierarchical understandings. So for example, being a rabbi has status power. Being a medical doctor has status power. Having a lot of money has status power. Sadly, in the United States of America, being white has a kind of status power, which leads to systemic power, which is not good. It has to be deconstructed. Status power is much more difficult to take off. I, now that I'm a rabbi, people, even my friends, expect me to function as a rabbi no matter where I am. That status has its own roles and responsibilities. It's very difficult to take off. Another example, say you sit on a board of directors, and many of you who are listening to this have had role powers or status power situations like that. When you are on a board of directors, it's almost impossible to take that role off. Even if you are amongst friends and say, well, I'm speaking for myself, not my role, it still bleeds onto that. Status power is tricky and we have a lot of work as a society to evolve and grow out of that. Even if we want the democratization of enlightenment and we want it now, doesn't mean as a collective, we're psychologically ready to go there. We have to discern and unpack these distinctions so that we can grow in them. We can sweeten them later, yet we cannot bypass the psychological truths of how role power, status power function. I also want to say very quickly, everybody has personal power. Everybody is their natural birthright as a human being created in the image of B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God. Each and every one of us has personal power, no matter our circumstances. And a society that tries to steal that is in dis-ease. Mm. I hope that helped. No, I, I've been, I, I, yes, that was incredibly helpful. I know we don't have a lot more time, but 
want to mention a cause that I've been fighting for, which is clergy in New York State, like 700,000 of us, are not mandated reporters because of status power. We are not obligated to defend children who are abused sexually and in other ways because of the fear of breaking down this idea of status power, and it is so offensive and wrong. So we're working on that through the CARE Act. In Thank New York you. State. Continue. So glad. so glad to hear of that. So let's come in for a landing here. Um, I want to speak to some of the brilliant leaders who have articulated what the next step is for us as we move kind of from these hierarchical understandings that suppress into the next step. And um, the three people I want to that I want to speak to. Number one, of course, is Robert Greenleaf. Robert Greenleaf, who talked a lot about servant leadership, saying that a servant leader focuses primarily on the growth and well-being of people and the communities to which they belong. They share power. They put the needs of others first, and they help people develop and perform as highly as possible. Key to understanding. Then you have. Uh, Margaret Wheatley, um, who is a phenomenal writer and speaker that has really helped us to, that helps us to try and restore hope and sanity into the world. And she has a book called The Leadership and the New Science. And one of the things that she talks about is that relationships are what matter, even at the subatomic level. She talks about life as a vast web of interconnections where cooperation and participation are required. She also reminds us that chaos and change are the only route to transformation, as desperate as we are for order. And the last thing I want to speak to is uh, Dr. Ron Wolfson's work on using the power of relationships to transform Jewish community. He calls his book Relational. Judaism, and says what really matters is that we care about the people we seek to engage. When we genuinely care about people, we will not only welcome them, we will listen to their stories, we will share ours, and we will join together to build communities that enrich our lives. If the leader, if the leader is here to motivate, communicate, and unite, not only does there have to be a shift in up power responsibilities and accountabilities, there also has to be a shift in down power of how do we give our leaders a good eye? How do we create a generous stance or posture towards one's leaders as we read in this verse, Havu, gift yourself. How do we stop gossiping? about our leaders mm -hmm. and look for their faults and have compassion for their burdens of judgment. For their echa. Yes, like, for their yeah, judgment and decision-making. Um, the way we pick on our leaders and try to tear them down has to shift. Right, and I'd say, you know, all of us do that. All of us do that through gossip, through doubt, through just lack of trust and faith in um, the role of leadership, as opposed to, I would say, the status of your leaders. So this is powerful, really deep. Um, I know in the comments we could put, or the we can post uh, in, in the written announcement about our podcast, if you will, um, where people can follow up and all the incredible books you quoted and the, the ethical use of power with 
Dr. Cedar. Um, thank you, Rev Charna. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Shabbat shalom.